Well, in keeping with the festivities and the nostalgia of this season, our text today is an obituary. It really is, actually. It's, um, it's the account of the death of Abraham. And this is um, our next to last. This is our penultimate message in this series. Next week, we're going to hear about Abraham um, in the genealogy of the first chapter of Matthew. And this is the last in the book of Genesis on the life of Abraham, where we have seen Abraham having been called by God and then living a life of faith. And that life of faith has been defined by um, his growth in trusting God. And he has gone through different experiences. God has led him. God has tested him. God has seen where he is and brought him along. And, And God made promises to Abraham through his life. At different stages. God fulfilled some of those promises in his life and some were yet to be fulfilled. In Hebrews chapter 11, we've looked at that a few times where we've seen how Abraham was called a sojourner. That he was traveling in this world, in the land that God had promised, but he didn't really own very much. He lived in tents his whole life. He was a sojourner. He was someone that was thought of as a foreigner in the place where he lived for about a hundred years. And in that, he was still believing God's promises for all that God said that he would do. And he had grown in that faith in an amazing way. We look at him and we see that the way God related to Abraham and the way Abraham related to God is in fact a great pattern for us. It says in Galatians 3 that Abraham is the father of faith and that the way that Abraham trusted God and was justified before him and had that uh, connection with God is something that is for every believer, that we are to walk in that pattern. So we see that Abraham has grown in his faith. We see how God led him, protected him and blessed him and how Abraham walked by faith, which we are called to do. Well, at the end of his life, we see that Abraham had been transformed by God through these years, through his lifetime. He himself had been changed. He had experienced the blessings of God even while he was experiencing the ups and downs of this world as it is. And as that was happening, he was being transformed. And we see that at the end of his life, his life was, was defined as someone that belongs to God in a very special way. And his legacy reveals that as well. So we um, look at this and we can look at what um, is, is, is uh, put down here for the end of his life in three parts. And what I want us to see here is there is a, there's a genealogy at the first part of this. There's a genealogy at the end with descendants of Abraham, and then there's Isaac, who is separate from them. In the middle, we have this death of Abraham described. And so we'll look at this in in three parts. We'll look at it from the outside to the inside. First, that there was a separation, that we see how Abraham separated his son Isaac from the rest of his descendants, and what that means for us. And then we see that in his death, In this world, before he actually died and was buried, 
there was a, a sweet satisfaction that he enjoyed. And then we see, lastly, that there was something that I'm calling sight, which comes after faith, sight following faith. We see something in this, a glimpse of what life was like, of what reality was like for Abraham after he physically died. So let's take a look at this. First, there's the separation. There was a great separation needed. And, and Abraham took his son Isaac and he removed the rest of his descendants. Those from the line of Keturah, the wife that we were introduced to here in the beginning of chapter 25. And Ishmael and all of the sons that he had. And he sent them away. He gave them generous gifts and he sent them away from his son Isaac, verse 6. Now, God, determ- God had decided and stated that he would bless the children of Abraham, and he did. So when we look at these lines of Keturah and of Ishmael, we can see that God was actually doing something that he promised to Abraham. In Genesis 17, God told uh, Abraham that Ishmael would be great, that God would bless him. And we see God's blessing on that man for the rest of his life. And he says that 12 kings will come from Ishmael. Ishmael historically is considered the father of the Arab world. I think that we should also include Keturah and her descendants in that understanding of, you know, the breadth of the Arab world as it is even today. But in Genesis 17, God said 12 princes or 12 chiefs would come from you. And we see those listed here. Keturah was fruitful as well. And in Genesis 17 again, God said of, to Abraham, I will make you very fruitful and nations will come from you. Nations will come from you. Well, here they are. So you see that the promises of God were being realized. They were being fulfilled. Abraham would have been able to recognize this. In Genesis 17, God says something is unique though about Isaac. He says, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac. In Genesis 12, God said, it is through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. I'm sorry, Genesis 21, verse 12. Now, the separation that we have here is something that is informative for us, but not as something that we should imitate. We shouldn't choose like one of our children and then send the rest away and say, this is the one we like. Um, but there is to be a separation, and, and I think it's important. But here, the thing, that, the thing that is different is that God said that there would be one that would come from Abraham, and he would be the one who would bless all the nations of the earth. It was through Isaac that your offspring, singular, would be named. So the Apostle Paul picks up on this in Galatians 3, and he says that this singular... This, uh, or in Galatians, he says, this one would come from Abraham, and it was singular in the Hebrew. And so Abraham knew that there would be one individual that would come, and what we understand from Scripture is this was Christ. The promised blessing to the whole world, to all nations, would be through this individual Isaac. Abraham knew enough to say, okay, God has something special of his blessing that's going to come through this one. And the rest have to be removed. So he does that. 
He gives them gifts. And that, that word for gifts that he gives to them when he sends them away to create this separation seems to be a word that indicates that it was satisfying to them to have these gifts and then to go away. The promised blessing would be through Isaac. Christ would come through Isaac. And Abraham is looking forward to that. So here we see Abraham acting on this. Isaac received all Abraham had, and he received the blessing of God. So the way that God was with Abraham, then down in verse um, 11, he was also blessing Isaac in the same way. Abraham gave all he had back in verse 5 to Isaac. Okay, so there's this separation. Well, well, what does that mean for us today? Well, first we need to just look back and understand God was determining to bless all people and he worked it out so that Isaac was the one that carried on this blessing and he stayed in that land. Abraham comprehended this and he trusted God's promise. Now, a question might come to our minds. Um, what about these other lines? Are these bad guys for all eternity? Uh, the descendants of Keturah, uh, the Arab world, the descendants of Ishmael. Well, the answer is no, and I'll give you one example. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 6 and 7, both lines, the line of Keturah and the line of Ishmael, with two, two of these uh, tribes mentioned by name, are listed there as those that were going to be blessed as people that would have faith in Yahweh and who would be worshipers of Yahweh. God kept track of these, and even though they are sent out now, they are welcomed in to this blessing of God that would come through Isaac, through Christ. So, right now, it's Isaac who must stay, and the rest must be removed. This kind of a separation still holds. There needs to be a distinction that God makes, uh, and God wants for us to recognize, between people that are those that belong to the promised seed of Abraham, that is Christ, and those that do not. Okay, So those that are in this line of blessing today would be those that are genuine believers. People that have been changed by God. We, as a church, are given the responsibility to say who should become a member of this church and who should remain members of the church. Um, People that have their trust in Christ, people who, whose lives reflect that should be members of, this, of a church. It doesn't have to be this church, but it should be a, a faithful church. But then we also need to be a church that says, if you profess Christ, but your life doesn't match that, then you shouldn't be a member of this church. And not everyone that, wants, that walks in should be just admitted to membership. It's not like um, Costco, where you can walk in and just um, become a member. That is the kind of separation that God makes, and he still makes. Those that belong to Christ should be a member of of the church, and those that do not should not be. Okay? Well, the blessings of God were being fulfilled, and we could see that with the nations that were coming from him, and then we see that that, um, separation. The next thing is this sweet satisfaction that Abraham himself had at the end of his life. The satisfaction was something where we see the transforming power of God that was working in him 
that blessed him even in his old age. At the end of his life, he enjoyed the goodness of God. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. It says, These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Whenever um, we read this, it's almost an echo, almost word for word, of what God promised to Abraham back whenever he showed him the covenant that he would make with that, that vision that he had. You remember back in chapter 15, God told him to uh, create these, these sacrifices, to cut them in half and to lay them on each side. And then whenever the, the sun was going down, God appeared to him in a vision. And what happened was there was a burning uh, furnace, a burning fire pot that passed through. And God spoke to Abraham at that time, and he was watching this happen. And you remember that the, the separating, the cutting of these animals would have been a symbol of making a covenant, of making a, a, an agreement with God and Abraham that I will belong to you, and the terms of the covenant would be, if it's broken, there has to be a payment for this. Well, the one that would pass through is usually the lesser, but the one that passes through in this was this vision of this symbol that represented God, that God himself passed through. And at that time... God spoke to Abraham and he said, you have to understand that I will bless you and I will make your nation, I will make your children so numerous and they will go and be slaves in another land and then after a time I will bring them back to live here and then God says it this way, he says, but you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried in a good old age. He told Abraham that in chapter 15. Now, this phrase, good old age, I don't think it's sufficient for us. I don't think that the translation is good enough. If I give a literal translation, it would be something like this. That Abraham, while he was an old man, was full of gray hairs and goodness. And the reason is, there's these two words. It's, if, if we hear good old age, we might think if someone lives to be 100... And we've had people like that in our fellowship. We might say it's a good old age. Just because it's good to be old. But the words here mean this. First, the first is just that he was old. He was just, frankly, old. The gray hairs, the King James says the hoary head. We don't use that phrase much. I think it would be a great thing to bring back. The other phrase is one that is more than just um, a quick saying He's a, it was a good old age. It's... The word is tovah, and it's a word that we see in Genesis where God, when he made everything in six days, at the conclusion of making all things in this world, God said after each day at the end, and it was good, and it was good. And that's the word that he uses here. The, 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 the concept of the, the completeness, the perfection, the, the elegant creation that God had made. Without sin, that's what God had made. It was, it was beautiful, it was perfect, it was complete, and it was satisfying. The goodness of what God had made. On the last day, in day six, after he makes man in his own image, he says, and it was very good. That's the word that describes Abraham's life when he dies. 
He was old, but he wasn't old and miserable. He wasn't old and just getting through. He wasn't old and complaining. The picture is here that he was old with gray hairs and he was satisfied in God. He was content. So uh, some translators use this phrase. One, one commentator says, this should be translated divine satisfaction. That he knew the goodness of God in his life in those old age years. Or we could call it contentedness. This is God's divine, perfect pronouncement of goodness in the creation account. And here, this is what he blesses Abraham with. In 15, he said, this is how you'll grow old and die. And in chapter 15, he also uses this phrase, shalom. In peace, you'll be buried. Um, And so, friends, this is a good thing that we should desire and we should want. We all need this, in other words. There's that, I heard someone pray this in the prayer meeting early this morning, that there's this God-shaped hole, you're familiar with that old quote, in the hearts of every person. And, and until that is filled, until the, the connection that we need to have with our Creator is, is made and we are filled with that, we don't have this kind of goodness in our life. That through all of the ups and downs of this world, we can know the satisfaction of knowing God and the goodness of that. God gave this to Abraham even through his old age, even at the age of 175, right before his death. That's what defined his life. And I want every one of you to have this divine contentedness. I want you to have this sweet satisfaction. And so let me tell you how. From the life of Abraham, as it's interpreted in the Scriptures, this is what the Scriptures say for you and for me of how we can have this. Abraham was was full of joy in knowing that Jesus' day would come. That was a part of the joy that he had in this world, knowing what was ahead because of God's promises. That's what it says in John chapter 8. And this seems to be especially from the promises God made. Like in in 21.12, that through Isaac shall your offspring, this individual that will come, will be named. And the promises of, that we saw revealed in chapter 15, where God himself kept the terms of the covenant, where you see Christ um, revealed in being God who satisfied the terms of this covenant relationship. Or in chapter 22, where on Mount Moriah, a ram was provided. And God is the God who provides. And there was a sacrifice that was provided for God's people. Abraham knew that Christ would come in these ways, in these glimpses. He knew that his day would come, that there would be one through whom all the nations would be blessed. And Abraham put all his chips, as it were, on Isaac. I just use a gambling metaphor in a Baptist church. Um, He had faith in God's word. He had faith in what God said. Okay, he trusted it. It was very real to him. He had seen God's faithfulness in his life, and mostly he was looking ahead to what would still be. And so he was joyful because he could look ahead to the one God promised would come through Isaac, and that is Jesus. You and I need to look back to him. 
You and I need to look back to the one God has sent, okay, to be born, like we celebrated Christmas. Why was he born? Well, it was to take on our nature. It was to become like us, to be our redeemer. We need to look back to the one who put himself on that cross to be our substitute, to be like in this analogy of buying the puppy back, the one, even though he made us and we belong to him as his created beings, he yet came to buy us back, to redeem us, by taking our place, by substituting himself on that cross for our sins. We need to look back to him to have this kind of joy Abraham had, this divine contentedness. And we need to look back to him who could not be held by the grave. We look back to him, Jesus, who overcame death for us on our behalf. We need to always remember that as believers. And if, we are, if you are not a believer, it is to him that you must look to know this, this goodness of God, to know this fullness of life, to be reconnected with God, to be redeemed. Then, as you look back, realize that Jesus did all that he did, and, and it was for your blessing. He did what he did um, because it was to buy you back, to have a redeemed people for himself. That he did all that he did so that you could have life, which is real life, which is what defined Abraham at the end of his. And as he walked with God, he had this, this goodness in life. Now, friends, brothers and sisters, I want to address you. Christians, fellow Christians, most of us are in that category here. We can fade from that. We can, we can move away from remembering the goodness of God. There's like, a, there's like a mist, like a cloud in this world because of the sin that's here, because of the fall, because of all of the brokenness that's in this world. Relationships and, and, and people can fail us and things can be hard and finances and our physical bodies. These things can get us down to the place where we can forget those things that are unshakable. We need to remember these things and remember the the goodness of God towards us that is unshakable. We have to remember this so that we can have this kind of goodness in all the days of our lives, including in old age. Now in Galatians 3, it says this, that we, we, you don't become a believer by doing works. You become a believer by trusting in Christ and looking back and seeing what he has done. And so it says this in Galatians 3. It says that just as Abraham believed God and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness, it was put in his account that he is right before God. It says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you became a Christian. By believing what Jesus did, by looking back to him. And then it says this in Galatians 3, So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So do you see? The blessings Abraham enjoyed came to him by faith. It was by, it was by trusting God and what God would do. He was not looking to himself. He was not saying, I've, I've done enough, I am good enough, therefore I am in God's favor. He looked at God and said, God has done it all. 
And he was welcomed into that, and he just believed it. These blessings are for you through faith in Christ. And so here's something that we all need to hear. Because this kind of thinking can creep back into our minds. Stop trusting yourself. If you trust in yourself for your goodness, that you can be good enough for God or you can make yourself good enough for God, then you are shifting your weight, as it were, over to yourself, onto your shoulders, and away from being on Jesus. All of your trust for your acceptance with God needs to be on Jesus, on what he has done. And when we are living like that, when we are remembering that he did all of this for our good, then we can live these lives of goodness. Then we can live these lives of this tovah, even with the hoary head. I think it's a funny phrase. You can chuckle if you want. So stop trusting yourself. Brothers and sisters, stop trusting yourself. You who don't yet know Christ in this way, that he is all that you need, that in him you do have life. This is how you come to have life in him. So make sure that your trust is fixed on Jesus and not on the things of this world, which are so easily shaken. And, and my prayer really with this sermon is this. It's kind of a similar thing for all of us, that you and I, all of us together, will enjoy this sweet satisfaction in Jesus. In, in seeing him so clearly that we are satisfied with the kind of satisfaction that describes Abraham at the end of his life. And this leads us to our final point. It's also in verse 8. That was the way Abraham's life was right before he died. And then we look at what is, is a little bit of a clue for what it was like right after he died. In my position, in my work, I get to be around people near the end of their life. And let me tell you, not everyone experiences death and enters into death in the same way, including for believers. If someone tells you that a believer's time of death should be definitely easy, I don't, I don't buy that. I think that for some, God gives the blessing of an easy transition, you know, to use the analogy of Scripture and of Pilgrim's Progress, of crossing a river. For some, God gives strong faith, and they pass through that veil of death confidently and sweetly and boldly even. Others struggle, and they, they, they sputter, and they wrestle, and they, they are gasping for air as they go through. Not just physically, I mean, metaphorically, physically too. But it doesn't mean... Um, the, the, the ease of, of being ushered into death. It doesn't mean that someone is a believer or not. I'll say this too. Being around someone that's not a believer, sometimes it's a terrifying thing. And some of you know that. And I've heard from, I've heard from some of you that have been around that as well. Um, there is, in fact, a reality and an eternity on the other side of this life. What is on the other side for believers? Well, we see that with Abraham. Okay, now... There's this phrase that we get in verse 8 where it says, Abraham breathed his last. That means he died physically. He stopped breathing. And it says just plainly, and died. Okay, in a good old age. Those are the, that phrase of the sweetness of it. Right before he died. 
describes him as an old man full of years. And then it's this. And, and this is what happens on the other side of that veil, was gathered to his people. And what does that mean? He was gathered to his people. It doesn't mean that he had um, lots of ancestors that were in the cave where he was going to be buried. Uh, just his wife was there, okay? Um, it's not just another way of saying that he died because it's talking about something else. He's already said that he's died. It's talking about something else. It's talking about Abraham went somewhere. While his body was buried there, Abraham went to another place. And according to Scripture, he went to paradise. When Abraham breathed his last, he was gathered to his people. Let me just uh, jump over to this. In, in, well, let me say this, too. In John... Chapter 8, Jesus said some things about this. He said, Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Um, You can think of other places, like um, in the Gospel of John earlier, he speaks to Martha and Mary, and he talks about um, when people believe in him, they will not die. Well, Lazarus had clearly just died. Well, And then in John 8, he also says this, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. But we definitely die physically. So what is being talked about here? What what does that mean? In Luke 16, Abraham is mentioned. And whenever Jesus is describing uh, this, some people take this to be a parable. And some people say, no, Jesus is just explaining a reality using something that really happened. You can decide that. Let me just tell you uh, in brief what happens here. Jesus was talking to some people, and he says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at the gate was laid, a, was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, um, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things. Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And now the the account of this goes on. The point that I want you to see here is this. That Abraham is specifically mentioned there as being in a place of comfort of being in a place of paradise. Whereas this, this rich man who, who had all of the best things that he wanted in this world was in a place of anguish. There is a reality into which we pass when we physically die. And that is even before the time of resurrection. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, it says that if we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. That's a that's a promise for believers. If we're absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. I mean, in Philippians 1, the Apostle Paul says, I'd rather depart to be with Christ, which is far better. 
Abraham knew that there was life after this. In fact, in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10, it talks about how he lived in tents when he was in this world because by faith, he was looking to a place where he would live in a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He was living now with the knowledge and the trust of what would come next. For us, we have to understand this. This world is not all there is. God calls us to first have a cross and then to have a crown. Right now, all of God's peoples are sojourners. We are aliens and strangers in this world. But then, we will have a country where we belong. We will have our true country. And it will never end. And Abraham died in that condition, not having received it. It says in Hebrews eleven thirteen that he, along with others that lived in this world without having all that stuff realized, without getting it, without having the, the joy of all of that, they died in faith, looking ahead to what would be. Friends, let this sink in and guard your hearts. This world can really hurt you and leave you in pain. Your comfort and your rest must be beyond the things of this world in the things that cannot be shaken and that cannot be taken away. I'm going to shorten this. Um, Jesus said to the thief on the cross something that we need to hear. Everyone who turns to him in faith can hear the same thing. The reality for that one thief that was next to Jesus on the cross was this. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to that man, I tell you the truth. This day, you will be with me in paradise. There are different ways that you can prepare for your time of death. Here's the bottom line. Your faith in Christ. First of all, your faith must be in Christ for this to be your hope. And then your faith in Christ needs to be transforming your life so that you have a satisfaction that is sweet and unshakable, that's not anchored in the things of this world. And the knowledge of what will come after. Those things that are unshakable are our anchor. It's our hope. It's being with him. It's because of what he has done. So put all your chips, Baptists, as it were, on the promises of God in Christ. And let your faith in Christ transform everything you are and everything you do right now for your life that you're living, and the legacy that you will leave. Let's pray together.